following podcast contains swearing, amateur satire, bad accents and a sustained sketch that borders on the self-indulgent followed by an interview with an angry man. So basically, all of the good stuff. You're right, Adam, you look a bit... Well, I've just realised I forgot to order the goo ducking and I've got my parents coming round tomorrow and I just don't... Because we're going to be editing this podcast all day, I don't think we have time to get the goo ducking. Just get on Uber Eats. What's a Uber Eats? Uber Eats they'll d- will deliver your food for you. I've ordered um, several goo ducking already this year. Oh, amazing. So like yeah. Deliveroo? Yeah, like Deliveroo, like any one of the numerous food delivery companies that are out there like, that you can get these days. Like yeah. Shropshire Farm Foods? Yeah, like Shropshire okay, Farm cool. Foods. Okay, oh, cool. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. That sounds great. And is it going to be full price? Or? It won't be full price because we've organised a discount for listeners to Smith and we'll talk about satire. So just go to the checkout and and, and put the code Dear Joe and receive a 10% discount on all Gooducken orders before the 23rd of December. That's amazing because uh, just Dear Joe though, is it? It's just not, Dear Joe, yes. Not, not not me. Don't, no. But that's that's fine. People are always leaving me out of emails and, and contacting you and not me ah. to talk about the project, aren't they? So, they're not. So I suppose that's... They're, they're not. And also, none of that is true, is it? No, you? none of that's no, true. true. No, yeah, we're mucking true. about. Shall we start the podcast? Let's start the podcast. <laughs> to satire help it joseph jesus and mary help satire please bring satire back you say it for me ma'am yes adam satire needs our help and i as a female and a secularized version of, of some kind of benign deity am asking you as co-lead for the york research unit for the study of satire or why are you sos for help I understand you have a female co-lead, but I'm just gonna not copy her in on this one, cause that's what people normally seem to do. Splendid! Sad I sick! And why are you talking in that accent? I might well ask the same of you, uh, but really it's to differentiate me from anyone else I might be playing in the Christmas special. No, worse than sick, everyone keeps saying it's dead, and at exactly 11.45pm tonight, Earth time, Satire will be thinking seriously of believing them. Oh dear, dear. That only gives me about 32 minutes. If if I should accomplish this mission, I mean, might not perhaps win back my blue tick. I've been waiting over 200 years now, ma'am. People are beginning to talk. You do a good job with Satire, Adam, and you'll get your blue tick. What's that book you've got there? The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, ma'am. But it's, it's fading before my eyes. Whatever is the matter? Mark Twain's famous novel was a direct descendant of Horatian satire, Adam. If satire dies tonight, that book and countless others will die with it in a horrible alternative history. Now, sit down and listen. Why, isn't this exciting? It's 65 to 68 BCE, and there's Roman satirist Horace lightheartedly mocking folly. This seems an arguably arbitrary moment to choose, but I suppose I only got 32 minutes to go through the birth, death, and legacy of Satire. Why, I believe that's Satire right there. She sure looks happy. Oh, she is, Adam. She's enjoying a heyday. Horace's work and his mode of satire will last centuries. Satire is just beginning. 
Pope, Defoe, The Simpsons, Mark Twain, they all descended from Horatian satire with its light-hearted but instructive form of mockery. Why, now it seems like we're in the late first century AD, or maybe the early second. And who's that angry man? Oh, that's the Roman satirist Juvenal, Adam. Look there, he's mocking society in a much more abrasive way than old Horace. See how scornful he is. Oh, my target is monstrous. Can't you see, you pathetic idiots? I scorn him. I scorn him so hard. Oh, society. Well, goodness me, he doesn't seem any too pleasant. Do we really need that kind of nastiness? Seems to me we could all do with being a whole heap nicer than that. Oh, Adam, Juvenal had just as important legacy as Horace. Because of his work, writers like Jonathan Swift, Samuel Johnson, Anthony Burgess, and George Orwell were able to pinpoint the flaws in the societies they lived in and create works the world remembers every day. Without Juvenal, there'd be no brass eye, no black mirror. Wow, it seems like we're still in the Western world, though I can't quite tell when. Didn't Sada ever get out of Europe, the UK, and America? Why, yes it did, Adam. There's been satire everywhere, and I'm very mindful of that this can only ever be a partial history. But if satire dies tonight, then no podcasters of the future can ever explore that or trouble the idea that satire is a white or middle class or male pursuit. And it's in the UK and the US that everyone keeps saying it's dead. Ah, uh, I see. And who's that they are looking so cross? Why, that's old Johnny Swift. Do you recall I mentioned him not so long ago? He's writing a satirical pamphlet suggesting that the hungry Irish should sell their children as food. Why, but that's beastly. No, Adam, it's satire. He doesn't mean it. He's just highlighting the uncaring attitudes of the rich and powerful. Ah, I'm so angry with the powerful rich who don't care about the plight of the hungry. This pamphlet will surely change hearts and minds. And did it? Well, we can't be sure just how influential it was in achieving its aims, but it certainly formed part of an important satirical tradition, Mr. Lister, sir. (laughs) And you know, the story of Jonathan Swift has another important moral about satire. When Jonathan Swift wrote a frankly misogynistic poem about how women are all disgusting underneath the facade of their makeup, another satirist, Lady Mary Wortley Montague, wrote a poem satirizing him. So... When satire goes too far or is ill thought through, things have a way of resolving themselves through satire. And of course that story also suggests that it wasn't just men who did satire. Oh my goodness! Now hold on to your hat. We're running out of time and we need to see where satire is just before it starts thinking about dying. Oh my god, have you heard about Janie Dudley doing that thing with the placards? Have you listened to the new episode of Dear Joan and Jacka? <laughs> Have you heard of Stuart Lee? I like not going out. <laughs> You're wrong. What is cake? Well, it has an active ingredient, which is a dangerous psychoactive compound known as dimesmeric anison phosphate. It stimulates the part of the brain called Shatner's bassoon. I knew Malcolm F. Tucker, sir. The leaders are no different, are they? David Cameron and Ed Miliband. They're about as different as two rats fighting over a courgette that has fallen into a urinal. (laughs) The main difference being that the David Cameron rat is wearing chinos. (laughs) 
evening. Welcome to Have I Got News for You. I'm Joe Brand. You think that's achievable? I do. I do, Matt. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to just get elected, you know, and, and look like a jackass. <laughs> Oh boy, it sure seems like something changed there. Once upon a time, satire seemed distant enough from reality. Distant enough to be funny. Distant enough to make you look at reality in a different way. But many feel now that the world is so beset by fake news, by lies, by events that would once have seemed profoundly improbable. What can they do? Where is satire? The world seems so ridiculous every day that nobody can see a place for satire anymore. How can you mock what's just terrible? Who could even try? All the people who used to do satire are feeling like they can't anymore. And they're writing articles saying satire is dead. She's not dead yet, but she might not be far off. Look, there she is. Why, hello there. I'm your guardian angel. Well, you sure look like the kind of an angel I'd get. Are you on Twitter? Why, sure. You can find me here. Look, at Satire No More. Please do hit me up in my socials. Well, you haven't even got a blue tick. Oh, no. I gotta earn it. And you'll help me, won't you? Sure, sure. How? By letting me help you. You think if you were dead, everyone would be happier. I don't know. Maybe it would be better if I'd never been born at all. Oh, you mustn't say that, you... Wait a minute, wait a minute. That's an idea. All right, you got your wish. You've never been born. Wait a minute, what's happening here? Why, they've just announced something terrible on the news. That's annoying. It is annoying. Do you mind if I um, retweet you saying it's annoying? Yeah, sure, but why would you want to do that? Fair point. Do you feel better now, even just for a second? No, do you? No. Oh, well. Did you read Stuart Lee on Sunday? What, that article where he was saying that the news was annoying? Yeah. I did, but it didn't impress me that much. No, me neither, to be fair. I mean, it was good when he said Boris Johnson was annoying, but I didn't really feel any better. No, I don't, I don't feel better either. I just don't feel better anymore. What? What is this place? Why are they all looking so impotently annoyed? I keep telling you, Sadai, you were never born. These people look vaguely annoyed because all the terrible stuff is still happening, but they have no way to process it or make it temporarily tolerable. Why, well, I guess they all just go on home and watch some TV. Oh, sure. They go home and watch the news or soaps or... Not going out or mock the week on Dave. But there's no satire. Everything they watch just makes them feel a bit more annoyed. Especially old episodes of Mark the Week. Well, maybe that's not such a bad thing. They could read the classics or take up activism or something. What classics, satire? There's no Dickens, no Orwell, no Jane Austen, no Charlotte Bronte. Well, there's still Emily. There is still Emily Bronte, but so many of the books and poems and plays you remember, Sada, they're gone. And as for activism... Whose parliament? parliament? Our parliament! parliament. Whose streets? streets? Our streets. streets! Why do all the Packers just read Boris Johnson is a bad man and I dislike Brexit? Well, I keep telling you, Sada, you never existed. The people don't know how to mark the situation or draw attention to its ridiculousness. They only know that they don't like it. And because they can't divert their anger into wit and comedy, they're just 
actually affecting a change? Why, no. They're just setting fire to things. Look. I'm not entirely persuaded, but we're running out of time, so... Adam! Adam! Help me, Adam! Get me back! Get me back! I don't care what happens! Only get me back! I want to live again! Please, God, let me live again! For God's sake, have any of you seen Stuart Lee? Merry, Merry Christmas, Santa! Santa. Merry, Merry Christmas! Christmas. <laughs> Hallelujah! My satirical family are back! Who's that gentleman over there? He sure looks like he could use a glass of mulled wine. Here you go, sir! Thanks a lot, thanks a lot. I'm Stuart Lee. Hallelujah! Look, Satire, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his blue tick. Well, that's right. Atta boy, Adam. Find him and Joe War at Satire No More or Google Satire Births, Deaths and Legacies and let him know you're aware. In It's a Satirical Life, Adam was played by Adam Smith. The female secular deity was played by Joe War. Other parts were played by members of the cast. It's a Satirical Life was written by Joe War and produced and directed by Adam Smith and Joe War. That's a joke for Radio 4 fans. Well, that happened. Um, I've got to say, it's nice to be talking in my normal voice again, although arguably I was mostly doing that anyway. Well, I'm really glad to be talking in my normal <laughs> voice as well. A little Twitter bird tells me that you actually only very recently watched It's a Wonderful Life for the first time, didn't you? What did you think of it? Yeah, I um, I thought it was good. So I've never seen It's a Wonderful Life, but it's one of those films, isn't it, where you see bits and pieces, where you have a mm. vague sense of moments in it. So the final few minutes of the film... I feel like I have seen that in clip shows or I've definitely seen still images of it. And I, and having seen it, it's one of those such iconic films that now I realise that lots of other films that I've seen or episodes of TV shows were indebted to it and I didn't even realise. Like there's, yeah. a, there's a Muppets Christmas film. It's got Whoopi Goldberg in it as God. And I never realised that was actually a homage to It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, and Fry and Laurie did a brilliant satirical sketch based on It's a Wonderful Life a about the murder Empire. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm paying homage to that as yeah. well as many other things, yeah. But I mean, it's not it's not satirical, but I suppose it's Christmas, so we can talk about it for a, a little, yeah. uh, just a little minute. Yeah. I thought it was interesting how it's very similar. Well, it, it's like Scrooge, if Scrooge was a good lad, isn't it? It's a sort of, mm. so Scrooge is visited by three ghosts who teach him the error of his ways and he has to learn how to reform. Whereas this gentleman, George, George, Bailey. George Bailey, is visited by an angel who teaches him that actually he's absolutely he massively fine. matters, yeah. Yeah, and 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 he should, doesn't need to feel guilty about anything, yeah. even even when his when his family are cowering in the corner in fear of him. But she might be cowering in fear in the film, but if he'd never existed, mm. she'd be a spectacle-wearing librarian. Mm. So nobody wants that. Yeah. So if anything, she needs to be grateful too, doesn't she? Yeah. I mean, I did voice some dissent about it on. Yeah, on that Twitter. was dissent as well. Yeah, I said. What you I know, just said. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. I'm just warning you because I got scored and actually I was very wrong I learned to, to criticise George because he, he, he means well and he and, mm. I, and I was like, explained to me and it's very clear in the film that he puts his town first and he doesn't pursue all of these things for the good of for the good of the community and, and for the good of capital and at the, at the end of the film it's an interesting mm. moral isn't it it's crowdsourcing is what yeah. resolves it not, yeah. not anyone learning anything in particular yeah as long as you've got friends who will lend you um. money You'll always be alright in this world. But I'm being harsh. Like, I did think it was good. And I did like yeah. it. You like this film, don't you? Jay? I do like it, yeah. Mm. Even even once I found out none of it's real snow, I still uh, still do enjoy this film with yeah. all its problems. 
and the film isn't really satirical at all, and that's perhaps unsurprising mm. because why would you want to do a satire? Why would Christmas? you want to to satirise Christmas? Yeah, we're, let's talk about that for mm. a little bit, and uh, before we talk to Matt Colbeck from Creep Joint, shall yes, we? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That could be, because that's coming up later in the episode, listeners. Yeah. We've not introduced that yet, but uh, we'll be speaking for, to Matt Colbeck, the bassist and co-lyricist of Creep Joint. So stick around for that. Yeah, but um, from Creep Joint to the 19th century, I'm just going to read a little bit from one of my favourite comic novels of the 19th century, and one of my favourite books, actually, that exists, which is George and Whedon Grossmith's Diary of a Nobody. What's your favourite book that doesn't exist? (laughs) George and Whedon Grossmith's Diary of a Somebody. Okay. Got you there. Um, Yeah, so it was serialised in Punch in 1888 to 1889 and then was later published as a book. It's the diary of Charles Pooter and all his kind of minor troubles in life and bad puns that he makes and and his general suburban existence. And his rather more unconventional son, Lupin, who quite often sort of punctures Charles's suburban expectations and notions of propriety. And on December the 19th, Charles Pooter writes, The annual invitation came to spend Christmas with Carrie's mother, the usual family festive gathering to which we always look forward. Lupin declined to go. I was astounded and expressed my surprise and disgust. Lupin then obliged us with the following radical speech. I hate a family gathering at Christmas. What does it mean? Why someone says, Ah, we miss poor Uncle James who was here last year. And we all begin to snivel. Someone else says, It's two years since poor Aunt Liz used to sit in that corner. Then we all begin to snivel again. Then another gloomy relation says, Ah, I wonder whose turn it will be next. Then we all snivel again and proceed to eat and drink too much. And they don't discover until I get up that we've been seated 13 at dinner. That's, um, yeah, that's that's very something. uh, And that's from 1888. Yeah. So that's sort of been feeling similar to me for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. What is it about Christmas? I was really struggling to think of any kind of Christmas satire or satire about Christmas. No, I can think of lots of um, Christmas-based observational comedy and Christmas specials of of sitcoms. You get, you know, Christmas specials of Gavin and Stacey and so on, don't you? Mm. Um, And tragic Christmases. The EastEnders Christmas special is sort of notoriously mm. grim and the the grimmest of the year usually, isn't this it? This is going to be the happiest Christmas Albert Square's ever seen. Yeah. Oh really? Says Stacy one one day before the apocalypse. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I can't think of of much that is explicitly satirical in connection to Christmas. Which is a bit surprising in a way because you know satire is is supposed to often draw attention to an, an obvious truth or ridicule hypocrisy. But what and is the is, obvious truth of Christmas? It doesn't exist. There is no such thing as it's a conspiracy, a very nice conspiracy that everyone believes that it, it, it is it is a thing on the literature program when we. Have to teach hyperreality and mm. the idea of the simulacrum something that we all we all can envisage but doesn't actually have any referent in real life christmas is a good example like every if, if you say christmas oftentimes i think people will imagine a, a festive scene by a roaring yeah. fire and it's snowing outside like it's wonderful life but as you said yeah. the snow is fake and and it serves all of these functions I, I really like the idea that christmas is you know halfway through winter halfway out of the dark and we all come together to to have a little bit of joy before having to face off the misery of january and february yeah. and, and, and later march but, you know, it serves a, a function for business, yeah. it serves a function for capitalism, it for, for serves a function for reinforcing lots of societal expectations around how a family should function. Yeah, I think that's really nicely done in that episode of Peep Show, isn't it, at mm. Christmas, where Jeremy is desperately trying to kind of uphold his sense of what <laughs> Christmas should be like and when you have to exchange the presents and what Christmas jokes are acceptable. Where's the turkey, Jeremy? What? The turkey, where's the turkey? I thought you were getting the turkey. You what? <laughs> 
No turkey? You fucking idiot, Jeremy! You total fucking idiot! That was your job, you fucking moron! You cretin! You're a fuckhead! That's what you are! A fucking shithead! It was a joke, Mark. I was joking. It was a Christmas joke. That wasn't very Christmassy, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, I think Poop Show does that really well. But it's it's character-based, isn't mm. it, rather than satirical it about is. Christmas. I suppose that is a funny thing about Christmas, isn't it? That it's, it's like weddings, and it's a bit like if you're an academic conferences there's some kind of different reality that has its own codes and rules and yeah. mores that you have to but are incredibly specific to each family as well yeah that you have to adhere to for a few days and then everything goes back to normal yeah like it never happened yeah but we also i mean it's that idea of hyper reality mm. as well isn't it because perhaps because it's often the vehicle for observational comedy and then in turn observational comedy has reframed to us what christmas is mm. so we say these things don't we like oh you know you know christmas when when everyone eats too much quality street or mm. oh you know christmas when nan drinks one sherry too many and it's like mm. it's not necessarily real is it no. it's just things that observational comics mm. and sitcoms have kind of persuaded us our universal truths about christmas day and because christmas is does have this hyper real this heightened sense of this ideal thing that we all want to happen i i find the worst thing about christmas i do like christmas listeners but the worst thing is is the expectation or the or the fear that expectations mm. might not be met uh, i think the best thing that could happen would be if something happened on christmas eve that led to christmas being ruined and then we could all be like well christmas is ruined now let's just yeah. have a nice time rather than walking around on, on eggshells Waiting, <laughs> waiting to be disappointed, yeah. or, or to feel that you've disappointed somebody else. Uh, but it's, it's a, something like a film like Trains, Planes, and Automobiles. Yeah, they have a wonderful Christmas because they can't actually get yeah. to Christmas, can't yeah, they? It's yeah. kind of anything that can decenter or dis- all of this expectation around it. But anyway, that's not about satire. That's just about no. what I think would be a good Christmas okay. if it was if it was ruined before it began. Yeah, I'll tell you another thing that um, is, I think, something that's joked about more often than it's actually the case and that is a whole thing that's deeply topical of watching the Queen's speech mm. on Christmas Day. I've never watched the Queen's speech on mm. Christmas Day. I don't actually know anybody who has mm. but listeners who exist in a similar contemporary moment to us mm. might might remember that Jeremy Corbyn has been in trouble for not apparently watching the Christmas the, the Queen's speech on Christmas Day which yeah. is weird isn't it because it's like everyone knows he's not a monarchist yeah. but yeah. There's, there's this like mass collusion that the proper thing to do is watch the Queen's speech even though nobody does And uh, but that's a bizarre thing so I've never watched the. it's not a thing in my family to be like no. oh right it's time now to sit down and watch let's hear from our Lord and Masters about what's, yeah. what has and hasn't happened this well, year well I missed like the first 60 episodes and so now I feel like <laughs> I won't catch up I don't know what's what's going on but I mean, but that's, that's a great example of how Christmas can be co-opted in something else isn't it like the, mm. it's, it's, it's invented this invented thing that that can be used as a vehicle for all sorts of things the yeah. queen or yeah. you know coca-cola yeah the holidays are coming or whatever yeah. so it, it provides a space where no, we well, can... that's real when i was a kid every year we'd be like we'd all be kind of really excited and say mm. like oh my god the holidays are coming mm. the holidays are coming and then you'd see the lorry through the village you'd see the big coke yeah. lorry and we'd all go Holidays are coming, holidays yeah. are coming. Everybody did that, didn't I they? I feel really conflicted about that advert because I used to get so excited and feel so happy when that advert came Oh, you out. actually did because I was With being satirical. I don't like Coca-Cola and I don't like transnational corporations. But mm. also, but you uh, do like that lorries. was a good advert. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was quite a good advert. Interesting. <sighs> so, yeah, I never watched the Queen's speech. And I don't know why Jeremy Corbyn didn't just say he doesn't watch it either, because as you say, no. obviously he doesn't. That's a bit of a conversation about Christmas and satire. Yeah, should we have another one? Well, I, I've never written any satire about Christmas. 
No. Have you? I have, yeah. Except just, for, just that, except what that we did now, yeah. But I think the co-lyricist and bassist of the Stoke-based band Creep Joint uh, I think he has done that, hasn't he? Yeah. Song. So, Should we um, talk to him? Let's speak to, to Matt Colbeck, Dr. Matt Colbeck, from the band Creep Joint. The Creep Joint is populated by three members, Tom, Steve and Matt, who we'll be talking to. They've released several albums and they were described on BBC Radio 6 recently as being a virtuoso guitar trio who sp- who produce math rock. Virtuoso math rock guitar trio. That's right. Uh, yeah. By Tommy Robinson. So let's... <laughs> Tommy Robinson. <laughs> Tom Robinson. Tom Robinson. From the BBC Introducing Mixtape described them as a virtuoso math rock guitar trio and they wrote a Christmas song. We couldn't get Michael yeah. Bublé and he doesn't do satire anyway. No. So let's get Matt Colbeck on the phone. We might get Cliff Richard next year. Let's ring Matt, explain to him that we're going to conclude the episode by playing his song and ask him some questions, shall we? So Matt, we're going we're gonna to finish today's episode by playing the Creep Joint Christmas single Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. So this is a quite a comic, albeit bleak song. And actually quite a lot of Creep Joint songs seem to have this black comedy running through them. Uh, what would you say is the relationship between Creep Joint and comedy? I don't think we self-consciously go out to include dark comedy in the songs. I think it's probably something that just evolves naturally through the way we view the world, I think. And we're all quite, quite cynical. <laughs> so like our first album, I suppose that was quite overwhelmingly serious and quite straight. I would say, kind of SSRI, kind of satirizes the relationship between big farmer and mental health and antidepressants. I think in due course we may look at all of this and think that this was one of the biggest medical scandals ever. The, the promises it makes for a miracle cure, really. Now, this isn't always the case for a lot of people. And all set against the backdrop of quite banal entertainment. I had quite a satirical edge to it. Got, got the line in there, I've got a ticket to see the killers, and it's deaf and it's dumb and it's bland. Um, <laughs> so kind of that, that notion of trying to survive, survive in the world, but just having nothing really exciting around you, I think. And I think certainly think that dark humour crept more and more into our songs, particularly with the, the second two albums. But I think that's because the next two albums were built around central concepts. The craft of satirical or comedic through line, I think, through, through both those albums. The, the most recent album, Generation yeah. of, of the Dark Heart, I mean, that seems to me to be very satirical. I was just showing yes. the, um, the album cover of the young woman who's taking a selfie, but actually in the reflection you see the camera is a, is a gun. Yeah, yeah. Is that a conversation that you've had as a band that you're moving in that direction, or is it a response to just the way the world's going, or... Or anything in particular? Yeah, it's probably a bit, of, a bit of both, really. The concept of the album is that it's it's the life cycle of a person. So the, the opening track starts with a person dying, and the last track ends with their birth. So so we had these central songs, really depicting the notion of um, how social media can take over people's life. And from there, we then built this central concept of an album that is about a person's life cycle and about the various addictions that they can fall into, various stresses and strains of contemporary living, really. So one of the other things that we wanted to talk about that we've talked about quite a lot this season is the idea of the satirical persona and the relationship yeah. between satirists and their characters. So we've talked to Andrew Doyle about Titania McGrath, for example. The album that you're talking about there, um, it seems like it, it might almost be one big dramatic monologue and you use dramatic yeah. monologues, as, as do lots of bands, I suppose. What do you think of as the relationship between yourselves as individuals and the kind yeah. of characters that you might inhabit in the songs? 
Yeah, I think that's that's kind of a tricky thing to navigate, I think, really. And I think like for Steve, who's our central lyricist and as a, as a novelist, often writing quite visceral and extreme content, it's definitely kind of some kind of concern. It's a, tr- it's a tricky process to locate and, and walk that fine line between yourself and character. And I think it's even trickier communicating that to an audience so that they can distinguish between character and, and artist, I suppose. And I think that probably also comes from my experience as an audience member as, as well, watching watching different acts. And so I suppose myself being guilty of listening to lyrical content and thinking, is that character or is that the artist? And questioning your relationship with extreme or controversial lyrics or controversial content. But I think ultimately, you, I suppose you've got to look at intent within ly- lyrics, whether yeah. the content is gratuitously being used for shock value or as a conduit for the message. I mean, You've got kind of incredible raft of artists who do this brilliantly. Like Dead Kennedys um, using songs like Holiday in Cambodia, Kill the Poor, California Uber Alice. You know, it's even like Sex Pistols with Holidays in the Sun and, and Bodies and God Save the Queen. La- they walk that fine line really well, I think. And most recently, like Jason Williamson's um, uh, Sleaford Mods. Mm. Yeah. It really seems to push that boundary between artist and character, but ultimately crafts these incredible socio-political satirical depictions of modern life. The thing is, it's like a really great time for satire and, and British music and adopting those personas with the likes of Sleaford Mods, Idols, Cabbage, got Nadine Shah and Meat Raffle, kind of writing these really in, insightful issues about toxic masculinity or mental health and the migrant crisis, even like the, the failing rail system. But and by adopting these different personas and, and adopting polemic viewpoints really so it's quite an exciting quite an exciting time but it's a tricky process to try and walk that line particularly when when performing uh, performing live you always feel as though you need to kind of almost like make a statement to distance yourself from from the characters that appear in songs sometimes so listening to creep joint songs one of the songs that seems to me to be the most obvious work of caricature with the most discreet satirical targets is the song Let's All Go to Hanley, which is very much about you at the band's hometown of Stoke. Oi, dickhead! So could you just talk us through how the satire is working in that song in particular? Any satire, of course, has this strong kernel of truth. So the song combines real elements of our lives, with real places in our hometown of Stoke-on-Trent, but also these satirical depictions of the kind of, of a certain kind of mentality or, or person, really. You know, that kind of going uptown or going on the pole mindset leads to this, this level of toxic masculinity. So it's a combination of different things, really, that song. An affectionate look at the hometown, one which is typical of those industrial heartlands that have been decimated by the de- uh, deindustrialization and lack of investment, really. That, that kind of going uptown and getting obliteratingly drunk, that mentality comes from somewhere. They drown out the working week or frustrations of the world. I, mean, it's got, I don't think it's any coincidence that Stoke is the Brexit voting capital of the country, right? It's precisely the fact it's just been ignored for so long and mocked by kind of social commentators and ignored by politicians. And then with the weaponization of, of Brexit by Cummings and vote leave, it's kind of handed the voters of the city a political victory. Maybe, maybe that'll be the subject for a next song maybe so that's all really cheerful and the the idea (laughs) so that brings us on to our our next and final question before we play out on on your christmas song is is christmas a subject for satire well i think it's just right for being satirized really i mean you have the whole commercialization of christmas and exploitation of as a 
like with the commercial targeting that gets, seems to get earlier and earlier in the year. I think it also increasingly sticks out as a bit of a sore thumb, really, this season of good cheer. It's a huge disconnect, I suppose, on a, on a macro level, between the all too jolly goodwill to all message of Christmas, now kind of inextricably bound up with its commercialization. And that's kind of juxtaposed against this slow slide into misery of, of the country as, as a whole, really. Many, many living in, in the country who deeply unhappy for one reason or another, and that Christmas provides no kind of, no kind of relief, really. Is that, is that, it's a tension, I suppose, that's reflected, say, in like uh, John Lennon's song, and, and so this is Christmas, really. It's always been a, a topic that has been satirised or has, has been commented upon. And I think like, like on, a, on a micro level as well, perhaps on a slightly lighter note, for many people, like Christmas just involves with having to meet up and hang around with people and distant relatives and whatnot and just pretend to like them and sit around with these people. That, and people that never ordinarily hang around with and to kind of uphold that loser ethos. Well, happy Christmas to you too, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I really enjoyed talking to Dr. Matt Colbeck there from the alt-rock... Math rock. Math rock band Creep Joint. Yeah. Um, what if people want to hear more of Matt Colbeck's band Creep Joint? Where could they go? If they want to hear Creep Joint, well, there's, there's several albums out and they're all available on Amazon um, and elsewhere. But they can also listen on Spotify. What else can they listen to on Spotify? Smith & War talk about satire. Where else can they listen to Smith & War talk about satire? Anchor. Where else? Google Podcasts. Where else? Apple Podcasts. Where else? Overcast. Where else? Castro. Where else? Radio Public. Where else? Breaker. Where else? Which one have we done? Pocket Casts? Pocket, pocket Casts. <laughs> what if they want to just hear more from Matt Colbeck generally? Well, they might very want to do, because in addition to being an alt-rock star and bass guitarist and a writer, uh, Matt Colbeck is also an academic and he works on The Coma in Narrative. Um, and you can follow Matt Colbeck in his fascinating work on Twitter at Dr. Matt Colbeck. Cool. What else do we need to say then? Well, if, if folks are on Twitter following Matt Colbert, they can follow our project, Satire Desperate Legacies, can't they? Yeah, what's the Twitter handle for that again? At, At Satire, Satire no, no More. more. We do hope you have a good Christmas, sisters, and we'll be back in the new year uh, with a very special episode mid-January, which will be our roundup of Satire from All 2019. the Satire that's happened, yeah, yeah, in the last year. So, yeah, look out for that. And please do use that Twitter hand... Twi- <laughs> Please do use that Twitter handle to um, let us know which were your favourite satirical moments of 2019. Yeah, use the twiddle handle. Please, (laughs) please do use the twiddle handle. But for now, Merry Christmas, and we'll let Creep Joint play out with their song, Merry Christmas, You Filthy Animal. Sit up. Shut up. And have a lovely Christmas.